0: In a world where civility can often feel like a lost art, today's guests believe that believing the worst of each other does not help. Accepting that differences are not an indication of being a bad or dumb person and indeed that we all, regardless of our station in life, deserve respect. That's what our guests today believe. Just where do these people come from? Who espouse what for some are such heretical pursuits? We'll meet them in just a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. And I know you're curious about just who today's guests are just who are these people who say we stay connected out of a fundamental belief that we both want what's best for our country and that we can find a way to get there by working together. Rather than against each other. Such a bizarre thing to hear in today's world. I am so pleased to introduce Lee Berman and Jeremy Bernard, both former White House social secretaries. Lee Berman and Jeremy Bernard, welcome and please, we'll start with Lee. Tell us a little bit about your history at the White House.
1: Well, thank you, Pamela. Um, I began my career in the White House after being a stay-at-home mom for 10 years, and at the beginning of uh, 2001, I was asked to go to work for the Cheneys as their social secretary and house manager, and I took that job thinking it was sort of a part-time thing, and I would still be able to pick up my children from school, and it turned out to be much more than a part-time job, as you might imagine in So one day I was in the carpool line and the next day I was learning how to use the White House email system (laughs) and uh, how to let people into the vice president's residence with the Secret Service. So I had a big learning curve. But after that, I then went on in the second term of George W. Bush to be their social secretary based on my experience working
0: with the Cheneys. So that's how I got there. And Jeremy, how about you? How did you get to the White House?
2: Well, I started working on the Obama campaign from the start, um, but never thought I would either move to D.C. or go into the administration. And then once it ended up Barack Obama won, I did go uh, and took positions as to White House liaison for the National Endowment for the Humanities, and then actually just moved to Paris to work for the U.S. ambassador to France. And I got an email a uh, message from someone at the White House asking if I would throw my hat in the ring for the job of social secretary, special assistant to the president. And I saw it, and I kind of laughed and said, yeah, right, like I'll get that job. Um, but I thought, you know, I, it, how great, I'll go, I'll fly to D.C., I'll do interviews, and it'll be, you know, I should, I should go for it. So I flew to Washington uh, about a week later, and I met with uh, senior staff one-on-one during the morning. And in the afternoon, I went and met in the East Wing with uh, Mrs. Obama. And afterwards, there was a few more meetings, and afterwards on the way back to where I was staying, I called my mom and said, this is a day I'll always remember. I was in the White House all day, such an incredible day, because I didn't think I was going to get the job. And then uh, I, during my interview with Mrs. Obama, I admitted to her, I said, Mrs. Obama, I really don't know uh, much about arranging flowers, and I'm not great with China. So <laughs> in, in place settings, I'm not certain I'm the right person for the job. And she explained that, what, that there are people there that would help with that, that are experts. What, I, what she needed was someone that knew how to make sure people felt welcome the moment they walked in.
0: Wow. That's a huge difference from, I, I I think, what people at large tend to think about when they think about a social secretary, period, and certainly a social secretary at the White House. Uh, this is a question to, to Lee and to Jeremy. When uh, you first thought about the social secretary position, what part of you imagined that you would just be doing parties and that's kind of it
1: well you know i think there is a everyone thinks that's a very glamorous job but in fact social secretaries are are behind the scenes kind of people and they're working really hard and there's a big difference between going to a party and working at a party (laughs) yes and so i think we both had pretty good ideas about the work that was involved and there wasn't much of an illusion about it being too glamorous
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, 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 I was lucky enough to know, even though I didn't know, as, as Lee mentioned, it's truly on the job learning uh, and, and understanding it as you go. But I, a, a friend of mine, Juliana Snoot, was social secretary for one year and then she went to work on the reelection campaign. So I had some insight into it. And I knew that. One of the things that was important was making sure you had a good team and that you were that you were a positive and uh, reinforcing figure in, with that team so that people were treated well, not just when they walked in the lineup, but your staff was and that you felt like it was a, a very good um, combination of people I and mean, you worked well together. And, and that turned out, it took a little time, but that's what, Uh, my team turned out to be, and it really made all the difference in the world because when you enjoy the people you work with and and you're excited about being in uh, a residence and a a mansion that is so historic, it it takes away from some of the uh, stress about all the pressure that's on the job.
0: In in the... uh... In the introduction of the book that you both wrote, Treating People Well, The Extraordinary Power of Civility at Work and in Life, you say, and I quote, we refuse to assume the worst about those whose views differ from ours. We accept that they see the world differently. This is a question to both of you In today's climate, it just seems like that's so odd to hear, particularly from people who have worked in such a political environment. Talk to us.
1: I believe, and I know Jeremy does too, that from the experience we had at the White House of meeting so many different kinds of people from all over the world, all over the United States, um, that you could never have preconceptions about what they were going to be like you know there would be maybe some very famous actor coming to the white house and you'd think i've always liked this man i can't wait to meet him and he would turn out to be not very nice or conversely there would be someone you never really liked or thought very much of and then he would come to the white house or she would come to the white house and you'd realize what a lovely wonderful person they actually were and when you're being faced with that every day you really don't have the luxury of holding on to these old stereotypes about this, how you might feel about someone because of their background. And it turns out to be such a waste of time.
2: Yeah, I, I learned early on in, in the job, a couple of months into the job, Lee hosted a luncheon for me with some people uh, from D.C. that had been there for a while, that, that knew the city. And to introduce me, and there were Republicans from the Hill, there were Republicans that weren't on the Hill, there were Democrats there. It was a complete mix. And we, you know, ahead of time, I wasn't certain what to expect. It was such fun. But what was amazing is I made friends with people that I didn't think in a city that was so divided by Democrat and Republican that... I would become friends with, and it really did open my eyes. And and the former social secretaries, uh, I relied uh, on their advice, and Capricia Marshall was the chief of protocol at the time, and she had been a White House social secretary under Clinton, and she was very helpful. But the ones I really relied the most on were people from the Bush administration and the Reagan administration. It just turned out that they— were the most accessible to me they were in D.C., it was easy to call up and say, Lee, or like Gail Burt, who worked with Reagan, I said, can we meet for a drink? I, you know, I don't know if you ever went through this, but here's what I'm going through. And it really taught me how important uh, it is to keep an open mind and how much you close yourself off and how, how you just rip yourself off by putting people in different columns.
0: So how did the two of you deal with the stress of being in the White House, of being in demand all the time? How did you deal with the stress?
2: Well, we, I think we did it, dealt with it in different ways. I, I sometimes, it, it, I, I don't know that I really understood meditation, but there would be times I would shut the door to my office And I knew I needed three minutes or four minutes of just quiet. And I'd tell my assistant, please don't interrupt me unless there's a fire. And kind of breathe and take it in and put things in perspective. Because sometimes when I get all stressed out, I would think about, Jeremy, you work at the White House. You see the president and first lady on a daily basis. You are watching history No one's going to feel sorry for you. Stop feeling sorry for yourself.
1: And, you know, it helps to have a sense of perspective. And I I felt really overwhelmed when I first started. And then the social secretaries, the former social secretaries going back at that time to John Kennedy, had this luncheon and invited me, and they were telling me all of these horrible things that had (laughs) happened to them when they were social secretaries. And I thought, They survived, they thrived, they figured these things out, and they're still here to entertain me with the story. So if they can do it, so can
0: I. Which is an important piece. Um, (laughs) They did it, you can most likely do it yourself. Speaking of stress, Jeremy, the expectation from the outside looking in is that a social secretary is going to be a woman. You were the first male social secretary, I believe, at the White House. Is that correct?
2: That's correct.
0: How did you deal with that stress?
2: You know, the truth is, it it was made of that, uh, you know, from uh, a a story as as the press. I mean, it it was, well, this is historic. uh, The first openly gay man is serving as social secretary. And so there were two things there. But for me, going into the job, my whole focus was, God, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. I'm going to have to learn this. And so my focus was really on getting the – and I'm certain it was the same that Lee felt. When she went in there, It was to uh, your, your whole concentration is to watch, learn, and try to do the job. And so the, the, the whole part that made for an interesting story really wasn't a factor in that. Is I went in, you know, I wasn't worried about making a, a success as the first male in the job. I was just looking to make sure I was successful and that I didn't
0: screw it up. Lee, anything to add?
1: Um, you know, I think it's like so many other lessons in life. You just want the best person in the job and really nothing else about them matters. Um, and, We seem to need to relearn that in our society over and over again, but we're getting better, I think.
0: Well, it's it's hopeful if we are, in fact, getting better. Um, Jeremy, tell us about the Jeremy dance. So
2: I had a great relationship with the Obamas, having gotten to know them before the White House day, so I had a, a comfort level that, is not always the comfort level one has with uh, a president and first lady uh, because it's very intimidating when you're in the White House and there's hail to the chief and all the fanfare and secret service. But I would joke with them a lot, and I had a great uh, joking relationship and banter back and forth with the president. And after photo lines, which are very tiresome and not a favorite, uh, presidents and first ladies, but uh, one of just the necessary have-tos, I would do the Jeremy dance. I would always have a time scheduled that, okay, this photo line is going to take two and a half hours, and it would be done in an hour and 50 minutes, and the president said, well, you, you padded the time, um, kind of like airlines do to make on-time arrival. But I would at the end do a dance, and I was a horrible dancer. (laughs) And I did the Jeremy dance, and sometimes the president would do it with me, but it was just the president, first lady, myself, and a few others in the room after the guests left. And then the president saw me after the second inauguration where he had seen me dancing and something. He goes, Jeremy, I I don't want to be rude or insulting, but I just got to say for a gay man, you're a really bad dancer. And I said, Mr. President, if if I was a straight white man, I'd still be considered a bad dancer. <laughs> I, 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 I'd, get, I'd be a horrible dancer. So on my going away party, we would say uh, through for me at the White House on the state floor, uh, much to my surprise, at the end of the speech is, And we are going to do, Jeremy and I are going to do the Jeremy dance. And we started doing this Jeremy dance, and Pete Sosa took uh, Photos of it became one of
0: the top photos of 2015 that they put out. Lee and Jeremy, some folks uh, will have lots of reactions to one of the chapter titles in your book, which is honesty is the best policy except when it isn't. Uh, there there are some folks who can say some pretty raw things in their pursuit of being allegedly honest, and then there are other folks who will say nothing for fear that the honesty will hurt. Uh, walk us through the approach to honesty. I think
1: that honesty exists on a spectrum, and you have to be sensitive to that spectrum. And there are some things that people just don't need to be told because it doesn't do anything except hurt them. It has no positive value. And then there are other things that people really do have to hear. Uh, and even though they're hard truths, perhaps, they're the kinds of things that if told properly and carefully and with compassion, they can be told and still not create um, a, a disconnect between two people. And so um, I think it's a matter of being self-aware enough to know when something needs to be shared, and when a truth needs to be sheltered.
2: Uh, I, I recently uh, experienced
1: this. My former boss and his wife hosted a,
2: from uh, before my White House days, uh, hosted a, a cocktail reception uh, in, in, in honor of the book. Uh, but it was not a book signing. It was uh, uh, just a party, and it was people they knew, some that I, uh, you know, the majority I had met are new as well, but it was not a, uh, a book signing in the sense of what book signings often are. And someone who heard about it then started calling friends and said, oh, were you invited to the Nazis and the book party for Jeremy? And it was truly done to tell them that, or make them feel as if they're excluded from something. And so it, it served no purpose. And I think we got to be careful when we see people that say, oh, well, I'm just trying to be honest, or I'm just trying to it, it, That's usually the first sign of uh, they're, they're saying something that isn't uh, being said for the honesty, but more for the
1: uh, stirring the pot
2: uh, reason.
1: In this time of tabloids and um and the way people are always looking for gossip and fascinated by people's private lives, I think it's a real testament to the integrity and discretion of those White House employees because you, they never talk about the president's past or present. And you have to admire that because they probably could make a lot of money if they went out and talked about the various things that I'm sure reporters would love to hear.
0: Jeremy, anything to add? Well, I think that, you know, people
2: said to both Lee and I when they heard we were um, doing a book they said, well you've got to have something in there Salacious, there's got to be something (laughs) and we're like, no, that's not what the book's about Um, and there was kind of a shock that we would not say something, because let's face it everyone has bad days, no one's perfect, and you could make something out of nothing by just Writing about someone's, you know, whether it's their behavior one day or their mood. And, but we were trusted to take those jobs to serve the president and the nation. And the idea that we would uh, take anything that could be perceived as controversial or uh, a, a uh, salacious. Just didn't was something that neither of us were ever interested in, and so I think it's it, it's just a matter of it's loyalty, and it's uh, it, it's not that you're lying about someone. We're not we're not saying that we work for extraordinary people. They were people. They were human beings, and they had good days and bad days. But they were still extraordinary people. But We're not going to sit there and talk about. Well, let's find a few cracks and make the most of it. Uh, I don't think that's being loyal. I don't think it's being loyal to them. I actually don't think it's being loyal to yourself because it tells, so it's such a telling thing about someone.
0: Very true. And, and in fact, I mean, the the book that the two of you have written is to help people and sharing what might be somebody's secrets or quirks or whatever, that doesn't help anybody.
2: Nothing,
1: right.
0: Why do you recommend that folks give themselves room to fail?
1: Well, Can I, Jeremy, uh, you go ahead,
2: please. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I think that we have been conditioned to believe that failing is uh, a mistake, is a, is a fault, and the reality is we learn most from our, what so-called failures. You you can't always hit a home run. You can't always knock it out of the ballpark. But the times that you didn't succeed, the times where something went wrong, you usually learn more from that than you do from the times you succeeded. So when someone says, oh, I never lost a case in court, or I never ran an election I didn't lose, that I didn't win. I I actually find those as negatives. You well, know, either you didn't run in the right, or are very tough races, or you never uh, put yourself out there that much because most people, uh, and most people, politicians, they learn the most from the times they failed.
0: Speaking of politicians, have the two of you decided to give a copy of your book to everyone? in uh, the political life, every single person?
1: <laughs> well, we've had a request to send through the Center for uh, the Study of the Presidency. They would like to give a copy to every member of Congress. And then, you know, we're working on other avenues to get them to other people.
2: We, it's, it's always a tricky situation to send. A, a, when it's someone you know and you say, here's a book I read, I want you to have... They don't say. Uh, uh, some people have said to me, "You know, I want to give this as a gift." Though so I, I, wonder if it's if it's insulting because it's saying they need this. And uh, you know, I've always said that the, the way you can say is, "I'm sure you don't need." We hope you find the stories interesting, <laughs> but uh, we certainly there's a part of us that would like to fly over Washington D.C. and just drop the books like it was food for a famine country. Um, down onto the city so people uh, would read and, and recognize how far off so, so many norms have fallen.
0: I could not agree with you more. Uh, and, and, you know, we could certainly talk about that for a thousand hours. Um, but, <laughs> but the notion that civility is powerful and achievable, whether you like your neighbor or not, in and of itself, I mean, just the title of of treating people well, the subtitle, rather, is so important and so instructive to all of us. Uh, There's much work to be done, clearly. Agreed. Handling um, conflict diplomatically. Let's just go to that for for a moment. Um, It's again, it's it's hard to do. And if you really believe, let's say, that, I don't know, the color of your shoe is red, and somebody else really believes that it's black, and you, you just really believe it. And so you're really clear that the other person is colorblind or an idiot or both. Again, just kind of help us sort of unravel that a bit. I
1: think this comes up more and more in our daily lives. You know, you're sitting in a dinner with some people and you don't necessarily know them very well and they might say something that you consider to be politically very inflammatory and maybe you ignore the first comment but then after the second or third you start to be irritated and I think the best way to handle something like that is to be pleasant but direct and say you know I don't think you're going to change my mind about this so why don't we talk about something else and if they persist in in talking about it and forcing it then, you know, I think that qualifies as being offensive and you have every right to say, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to direct my conversation elsewhere or I would really appreciate it if you would change the subject. So everything you're saying is civil, but you're also making very clear that they are out of bounds.
0: So, again, we're talking about the importance of boundaries. Lee Berman and Jeremy bernard Co-authors of *Treating People Well*: The Extraordinary Power of Civility at Work and in Life. Thank you so much for joining us today. I just want to close out uh, our uh, time together by quoting something from your book, in which you say, "You are what you tweet." <laughs> Thank you both. <laughs> Thank you both very much. Thank you. We enjoy our it. pleasure. And, folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. I'd love to hear from you about this or any Mind Talk program you've heard. The email address is pamela at mindtalk.org. That's m y n d t a Org. You can always go to the Mind Talk website. You can download the Mind Talk app from iPo- iTunes or Google Play. And remember always if it's unacceptable, then that is what it is. Unacceptable. You take care.